Our story begins on February the 28th, 1922. The House of Lords is in session and the leader is out sick. The Earl of Crawford is speaking on the leader's behalf and delivers a speech. He is discussing a resolution about the 1919 revolution in Egypt. This will grant Egypt its independence. However, the British ask for four things if they are going to allow Egypt to become an independent nation. Point one. The security of the communications of the British Empire in Egypt. Basically saying that the British government won't come to harm. Point two. The defense of Egypt against all foreign aggression or interference, direct or indirect. Basically saying that the British government gets full control of the army. Point three. The protection of foreign interests in Egypt and the protection of minorities. Which would grant the British police power over minorities within the country and non-native Egyptians so Europeans living within Egypt. This also means they control all foreign policy. And point four, the Sudan. They just want all of Sudan. All four of these points have to be accepted if the British are going to remove martial law from Egypt. Martial law will be abolished as soon as an act of indemnity has been passed. On this, a word of explanation is necessary. Martial law has not been used in the main as some people suppose, to enforce British policy upon Egypt. It has been, on the contrary, the main instrument of government in the hands of Egyptian ministers for certain important measures. That's one hell of a qualifier right there. But is that really the case? Did England really intend to remove martial law and it was only using it to maintain security within Egypt? This question is important because if we don't observe how martial law affected the Egyptian populace, then we don't understand why the 1919 revolution had to come about. And this is a very important moment, not just in Egyptian history, but Middle Eastern and even world history. This revolution sets up a conflict within Egypt that will be going on into the modern day, and it all comes back to this declaration of martial law. So who is saying that the martial law was being used to enforce British will onto Egypt? Well, first of all, the English themselves. A brief thanks to Professor Judith Coffin and to Professor Yoav Dikopwa for pointing me in this direction. The Milner Commission was in charge of investigating what was happening in Egypt, and right before the proclamation in Parliament, a report noted that no one ever suggested then that it was merely a war measure to be withdrawn as soon as peace had been proclaimed. On the contrary, However little it was relished in many quarters, it was generally regarded as a definite and permanent regularization of a pre-existing situation. This suggestion, therefore, of fraud or misunderstanding on the question may, I submit, be confidently dismissed as illusory, and as put forward now, pour l'air de science de la cause. Can you tell I don't speak French? Anyway, it turns out that it was apparent England had no intention of ending martial law after the war was over. So, already the report made notes in there of how Egypt already viewed itself as independent, and that the occupation was not contradictory to this independence, but it was starting to become so. So, what changed? Well, a few things. Author Erez Manella says in her book, The Wilsonian Moment, that Wilson's 14th point regarding the post-war peace, implied to Egyptian thought leaders 
that they would be secured their independence. A general association of nations must be formed under specific covenants for purpose of affording mutual guarantees of political independence and territorial integrity to great and small states alike. As the Milner Report already confirmed, England had no intention of doing this, and later the United States showed they had no intention of securing Egyptian independence either. This is what the leadership of what would later become the Waft Party are thinking, and they have all these legitimate reasons for why they want their independence. But why would the people back it? I think a clue lies in the letters of one of the leaders of the revolution. Vice President Saad Salgul. Right before the revolution, he had been writing many letters to the leaders of nations, but on June 6, 1919, to the president of the peace conference in Paris, he wrote, Great Britain has been occupying Egypt for 36 years for the purpose proclaimed by her of leading our country to independence. Let us say to the honor of Great Britain that she has succeeded in her task beyond her hopes, for Egypt has been waiting for 36 years the end of an illegal and temporary occupation, full of petty annoyances and, above all, humiliating. Everything has been systemically tried by the British, especially during the last three months, Report to make to British more High Command, March 29th, 1919. They have endeavored Scarcely was the news of the arrest and deportation of our colleagues known than a numerous group of students of the higher schools came to inform us that they had decided to make manifestations. We advise them earnestly, December 3rd, 1918. What the authorities in Egypt want to do is to put between British public opinion and ourselves a barrier, and thus make it difficult to have information of what is going on from here, the most natural sources. In the name of Egyptian delegation, I bring these facts to the attention of your excellency. Nothing can prevail against the will of the people, which demands its right to life and independence. And if you thought that was intense, imagine the amount of letters Saad Sagul had to keep writing after these. These are only just three. But in many of them, he talks about the embarrassment dealt to the Egyptian people. He talks about all the horrible acts done to them. It's not just him. Historians in the modern era have found similar things. Mario Ruiz's Manly Spectacles and Imperial Soldiers in Wartime Egypt highlights Imperial soldiers from all across the Empire and from Britain hurting and harming civilians in an attempt to show how manly they were in comparison to each other. There are many acts of violence throughout this story, but there's one in particular I wish to highlight. On the 13th of April, 1919, a village was surrounded by soldiers who were looking for a criminal who fled into the town. British soldiers attacked and abducted the innocent people of Kafar el Hagwe. And this was only one of many incidents. The medical reports suggest that this was not an isolated incident. And indeed, the, there are more medical reports like it in the same collection. But this is just one that particularly stood out to me. What I'm curious to look into is that it is clear martial law was being used to enforce England's will upon the Egyptian populace. And the Egyptian populace, in turn, held a revolution in order to cast off that oppression. Led by the ideals of independence from an intelligentsia of leaders, 
helping to reinforce what the revolution was about. But when they won, the 1922 declaration by the British government only secured the powers that they already had. And I suspect, and this will require more research, that the oppression continued into the 20s.